Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. I am Nate Sager. Our listeners may be surprised today to hear that our guest is Paul Romanuk, a name that has been intertwined with sports broadcasting in Canada since the 1980s. After all, this is Sports Lit, a podcast about sports books and interviewing athletes and authors. Well, I was surprised too when I found out a few months ago that he had a long-standing series with Scholastic titled Hockey Superstars that has been released yearly for over 30 years since the 1986-87 season. So yes, in a year of diverse titles and stories on the program, we will chat about a release aimed at primary school-aged kids who love hockey. Romanuk, the author, um, or better yet, curator of this latest edition, Hockey Superstars 2020-2021, released, and that was released on October 6th, um, the traditional start window of the NHL season, he profiles 17 NHL dynamos with uh, bios, stats, and quotes over 27 pages. That's where you will find Connor McDavid, who graces the cover, as well as Austin Matthews and 15 others. There's also there's also data on next generation sensations like top draft picks Alexis Lafreniere and Quinton Byfield. Romanuk uh, was, of course, a play-by-play commentator on Hockey Night in Canada from 2014 to 2018, and a staple at TSN where he began his sports broadcasting career in 1985 as a freelancer, just one year after the network was launched. His full-time tenure at Canada's first all-sports network lasted from 1987 to 2001. For those that are interested in the business side of things, Romanuk was also the co-executive producer of the Spengler Cup from 2002 to 2013, as well as a play-by-play commentator. And so no, Bobcat Bob McCown isn't the only guy in front of the mic to have wet his beak in the business side of the industry. In addition to his lengthy international broadcasting resume, Romanuk also called Toronto Raptors game dur- games during the locked-out NHL season of 0405. And just a few months ago, he launched his Beatles-themed podcast, The Walrus Was Paul, under his Romicast banner. Before we get to him, I'll pass it over to my fellow fool on the hill, Nate Sager. Hey, I reference my ears applaud, Neil. Uh, yeah, Hockey Superstars is a MacGuffin for our purposes, you know, but you understand why it, it has enduring appeal. You know, we get to be jaded adults about sports, but through, you know, Paul Romanuk's capsule characterizations about how Connor McDavid came back from major knee surgery to, you know, put up huge uh, numbers last season, or how, you know, the Colorado Avalanche's Nathan McKinnon has gradually learned to put the team ahead of personal goals, you can see how sports can still set an example for growing minds. It's cool, you know, it's still going strong in 2020 when the NHL bears little resemblance to the 21 team era where when we were growing up, it definitely brings one back to being that age. I think since I have a birthday close to Christmas, I, there was one year I got three copies <laughs> of, of uh, Hockey Superstars. Although unlike uh, Jane Kirkovich-Williams on the sitcom Happy Endings, at least my parents never ruined my childhood with the dreaded Christmas birthday combo gift, which forced me to fabricate a summer birthday, which, you know, really matches my easy breezy vibe. Uh, Easy breezy vibe. Uh, Aren't you still working on that email about why Dave Steve belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Been at it for some time. Steve is ahead of Whitey Ford in wins above replacement for pitchers. You could look it up. (laughs) Anywho. Romanuk is the voice in many people's heads when they think back to the World Under-20 Hockey Championship in the 1990s before it really had that elaborate scaffolding from the, you know, the broadcaster and the sponsors that's lifted it into Canada's version of March Madness. Sports likers north of age 40 
hello. Uh, remember Paul calling those games that they probably watched with parents and grandparents during their holiday break from school, and it probably comes to mind as a purer experience than what it is today. Now, typically, someone who gets to that high in sports broadcasting in Canada is just ensconced like Costanza and Velvet. You know, job for life, calling big games till you call it a day, eh? But Paul set a unique path, uh, you know, as I've heard people say, hey, it's kind of like he went away for a while, you know, since he, you know, left, you know, the rat race of Canadian sports broadcasting, spent nine years in England after he and his spouse Carrie moved there for the enhancement of her career. And he sort of came back to do Hockey Night in Canada, as you mentioned, Neil. I, that ground's kind of been well-tilled in other forums. I always like it when we can give people a respite from the noise, ask them about some different things. Uh, as you alluded to, he's got the Walrus Was Paul podcast, where he chats with you know heavy hitters in Canadian music, such as Jim Cuddy of Blue Rodeo, Jane Gowan of The Real Shade, and Tyler Stewart of The Bare Naked Ladies. And they just go deep on you know one Beatles album, or their other projects and you know it's you know mind-blowing that they can you know you think how do they get two hours talking about one album but he's got you know people who can talk about arrangements and vocal tracking and all of the production innovations that george martin came up with i definitely have learned a lot from the episodes i've heard since you know basically all of my beatles knowledge comes from uh, simpsons references popular music's none of my business so i never think too critically about music or other people's taste in it it's kind of like the Paul McCartney and Wings song, Live and Let Live. Live and Let Die, like the movie. Oh, whatever, it had a catchy rhythm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Romanek has always given us a vibe that there's, you know, a lot more with, about him than having, you know, pulled on a hockey night in Canada he headset. In some ways, he was, you know, the right guy in the right place at the right time, uh, you know, to have come out of Ryerson in 1984 right as TSN launched. I've heard him t mention that to other podcasters. But, you know, in terms of, you know, his uh, skill set and range of interest, he was probably a little ahead of his time, too. Because being able to cross over between sports and pop culture was not so much of a thing, you know, 20, 25 years ago. But now there's a little more room to indulge all your tastes rather than just having to uh, stay in one stream. We found out it's not the worst thing to have to cross the streams. Uh, so we're grateful, you know, Paul Romanek's joining us today, although we have no craft beer for him. pa rumpa pum pum Release the hounds. Time to chat with the international man of play calling, Paul Romanuk. And we're back with, with Paul Romanuk, and we're going to talk about hockey superstars and other things. Paul, uh, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, very nice uh, to talk to you guys, and, uh, and I appreciate you taking time out to, to talk to me. Yeah, so I want to ask you, I guess I did have a question lined up, but I'll ask, first of all, what's the genesis of this series, uh, the Hockey Superstars, that you've put out since 86, 87? It's been a long time running, to uh, borrow the line from a famous uh, lyric. It, it's a lovely story that I never get uh, tired of telling, um, and uh, I'll, I'll try not to drag it on to. <laughs> In the early days of my career, I was a runner, for Hockey Night in Canada. And one of the hosts at the time was a lovely gentleman uh, and a prolific author by the name of Brian McFarlane. And uh, Brian and I, uh, he was a, I, I guess he was a bit of a mentor at the time to me in that career, or probably more accurately, he was just a guy who, who didn't mind helping out young up and coming broadcasters. And uh, Brian mentioned to me 
at one point during a show, he said, look, um, goes, I'm, uh, I'm working on this, this hockey book and I could use a little bit of help with some research. You know, would you be interested in doing that? Said, yes, of course. So I, I took the bus up to uh, Brian's place uh, in, in North Toronto somewhere. Uh, and I went up and, and went into his basement and he had this huge archive of, of old hockey books and magazines. And long story short is I, I helped him do some research for a hockey book that he was doing. So that was fine. Uh, and then probably several months, maybe even a year later, Brian mentioned to me that he was going for a meeting with his publishers at Scholastic and did I want to come along? And I said, yeah, you know, sure. He goes, well, you know, you might learn something. So what happened was we went to this meeting with the good people at Scholastic, and they had a proposal, unbeknownst to me, that they'd made to Brian. They wanted him to do a book called Hockey Superstars, which is essentially the book that, that's still done today. And Brian, again, unbeknownst to me, and I understood putting the pieces together why he wanted me there, said, well, look, was I don't really have time to do this because I've got my hockey night in Canada job and lots of other things up to go. But this young man here has helped me with another book and uh, I've worked with him and I know that he could do the job for you. Uh, so uh, he essentially, you know, kind of set the whole thing up and uh, that is that is how it started. Uh, the next thing I knew, I was I was doing the first hockey superstars book, and it's it's been a uh, it's been a lovely relationship with the people at Scholastic. But thanks to Brian McFarland. Do you, do you maintain contact with Brian? And uh, I mean, he was just named to the Order of Canada on November twenty seventh. So I mean, you mentioned who he was and a little bit about how the book project started. But you know, for some of our listeners, maybe a little younger that didn't get to see him on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, yeah, and he's also done 90 books, I think, uh, if the MLA that did the congratulations for him uh, in, in, in Parliament, uh, they, that's what they refer to, 90 books. So if that's correct, that's a hell of a lot of books. But, yeah, tell me about, uh, you know, or tell the viewers that don't, or listeners that don't know about Brian McFarlane and his relationship with Hockey Night Canada, who he was a little bit. Well, Brian was a guy, he's from the same era as Dave Hodge, um, who, you know, Dave Hodge, for those of you who are who are younger, Dave Hodge at one time was Ron McClain, if you will, or Ron McClain is now Dave Hodge, host of Hockey Night in Canada, and Brian was also a Hockey Night in Canada host, so this would be back in the 70s. Uh, and Brian was also a prolific author. Uh, it ran in the family, uh, I believe his father was the author of the Hardy Boys Mysteries books. Right. Uh, and so, it, you know, he came by it honestly, and he's also a dedicated hockey historian, and he's written many books about hockey history. He at one time had quite a collection of, of hockey artifacts, and he had them in sort of a portable hockey museum, if you will, that, that he would drive around to various local fairs. So, I mean, he's, he's just a wonderful, lovely man. Uh, and and um, he, like many of us in the broadcasting business, uh, he, he kind of got screwed out of his role as a broadcaster and, and, and uh, into early retirement and, and ended up continuing to write for many, many years. Uh, Peter Puck, Right. was uh, was uh, something that he was involved with. He was trying to resurrect the, the Peter Puck cartoon in cooperation with Hanna-Barbera. So, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on, on Brian McFarlane. 
But that, in a nutshell, is is Brian. He was a hockey historian, a broadcaster, uh, and also a writer. And I fell out of touch with him, but uh, I I reached out to him about a year ago and just said, "Hey, Brian, you know, it's it's been a long time. I'm, I'm ever so grateful for the favor you did me." 30 plus years ago that has resulted in just a, you know, a great relationship and something I enjoy with the Hockey Superstar Series. Let's get together and have lunch. And he said, absolutely, love to do that. I'm in Florida for the winter, but we'll do it in the spring when I get back. Well, of course, what's happened? Right. And uh, I haven't been able to get together with Brian to have that lunch. I hope to do it once we come out of uh, this pandemic that we're all involved in, but just a, I cannot say enough about the, the generosity and the kindness that that a, a veteran guy showed towards uh, a young kid. Has a player ever told you they bought this for their kids? Any of the players you covered when you uh, were uh, were doing hockey night? Uh, they have indeed. Uh, I've had a few do that, and it's uh, <laughs> it was it was during my uh, my sort of second tour of duty in North America as a play-by-play announcer. I was at TSN for uh, about 15 years. Uh, left, and then long story short, I came back to to work for Hockey Net in Canada, and uh, it was during my sort of return working on Hockey Net in Canada where I would bump into guys. Uh, there were a few of them and, and said, hey, man, are you, are you still doing those books? And, uh, you know, I used to get them as a kid and I, I buy them now for my kid. And uh, I mean, it makes you feel old, but um, <laughs> it, more than that, it just it, it, it made me feel really proud. Um, it just uh, like that, you know, so many kids had had, uh, you know, had gotten their hands on those books. And it, it's still something uh, every year, guys, I get. Uh, sometimes snail mail uh, and uh, and occasionally now emails from little kids uh, and the, the typical one I think a lot of schools in the curriculum you you pick a book by an author and you you write a letter to the author and of course it's a book for very young readers uh, so the typical letter will be something like dear Mr. Romanuk I like your book I like hockey I like hockey and your book who is your favorite player when will the Leafs win the cup? Please write back to me, signed, you know, right. Jason or Janet or whatever the case. But I still love getting those letters. Here's a, a review I found of the 0607 installment, but it probably speaks to to all of them. And I'm going to read it to you, and then and then ask you if you know where this is from. Okay. Uh, and now I'm not reading the full review, just part of it. But this book provides such quick, entertaining coverage of so many aspects of the NHL game that it will make you make both a perfect preseason primer for young people and an invaluable way to keep track of the goings-on during the campaign. It's easy to imagine author Romanuk as a super fan, eager to pass on his interest in the game to younger versions of himself with the series. And he's certainly done a fine job at that task. Now that's not on the back of the book. Uh, that that's an independent uh, uh, independent review. Do you know? Did, did, were you aware of that? Uh, no. Uh, but uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's lovely to hear that. Uh, you know, like I don't think the book is widely reviewed because it's. You know, it's it's not. Um, I would never pass it off as serious literature. It's a book for young hockey fans. But you know, I would I would echo what the reviewer said because. <laughs> When I started to do this, I mean, uh, I mean, I was that kid, right? I, I and I've always maintained. Uh, I try to keep in mind my 
10, 11, 12 year old self when I'm doing this book. Now, a lot has changed since I started doing it. Uh, social media, internet, all those things, of course. But th the core thing of the book is, is something that I loved to do when I was a kid, and I, I think that, that young kids still like to do, and that is read a story about one of my favorite players, look at a great picture, but the, the unique thing about the book is that there's always been a section where the kid can keep track of how their favorite players and favorite teams are doing over the course of the season. And that's exactly what I did. I did it in a scrapbook, and I tried to give kids sort of a uh, marry the two together. And it, it just, it, it, the number of of those books that I've seen with little kids who brought them up to me to sign where they'll open it up and they have all of the interactive sections filled in in their handwriting. Uh, it just, it, you know, it, it makes me so happy because that is what I intended it to be all along. So I'm, I'm glad the reviewer picked up on that. Well, the reviewer, that, that's from Quill and Choir. I mean, uh, so so when I saw that, I said, oh, wow, I, didn't, I wouldn't have expected Quill and Choir. As you said, you know, they, I expect them to, to review more, more like traditional types of literature, but uh, obviously it resonates enough and it's been going on long enough for them to, 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 to put that review in. Yeah, and now yeah, that's cool. Love yeah. it. Yeah, and of course, the easiest part of a writer or a coach's job is the cuts. <laughs> what's the What's the formula for deciding which players you're going to profile in, in uh, each uh, new edition? It's fairly straightforward at, at this point. I mean, you know, right off the bat, you have, you know, of course, you've got. You know, when Wayne Gretzky was a prominent guy in the league, you knew every year Wayne Gretzky was going to be in the book. Uh, right now, to bring it up to modern times, Connor McDavid's going to be in the book every year. Right? Alex Ovechkin's going to be in the book most, and you, and you can sort of go down the the list of of the you know absolutely will be in the books. Um, but then after that, what we really try to do because the book sells primarily, it does sell in the United States, but it it sells primarily in Canada both through trade and also in uh, school book clubs. Uh, and so what I try to do is have a representation, at least one player, from each and every Canadian team. And then after that, I sort of try to use my knowledge of the game to take a guess at who I think has a pretty good shot at winning Rookie of the Year um, and maybe the, uh, the Norris Trophy is the best defenseman in the league, maybe the Vezina is the best goaltender, and try to you know, nail that. Some years you get it, some years you don't, but th that's sort of the formula. So the, the superstars who are guarantees, um, the representation from the Canadian teams, as well as a couple of key award winners in there, or an another thing I like to do is if it looks as though you know, off the top of my head, looks as though Tampa uh, is is really going to take a run at the Cup. So there's a good chance that they'll win the Cup or they'll at least be in the final. Well, we've got to get at least one guy in there from Tampa to use that as an example. So that that's that's sort of uh, in a nutshell. The odd time you'll break form. It'll be a year where uh, there'll be a Canadian team that'll just be horrendous and you can't justify putting a player in from that team, and that happens. But for the most part, I try to cover all the all the Canadian clubs. Did you ever run into a problem when the Leafs were, were so bad for so long with, with that from a marketability standpoint? 
Well, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I send my my prospective list in uh, usually in a normal season around this time of year, so to say, send it into the um, the lovely lady who I've worked with uh, there by the name of Diane Kerner. I'll send Diane the list, and, and then the next stage is she goes in and takes it to you know the weekly or biweekly marketing meeting or whatever it is. So that's when you'll get the pushback saying, "Oh well, you know." We've got to have a, you know, the course of, you know, like just as is the case on TV and in print, the leaps sell. So <laughs> the first, no matter how bad the leaps are, the marketers would want to leaf in. Uh, but there were a few years there where I stood my ground and I said, no, they're, they're horrible. Like, we, <laughs> there's nobody on the team that's possibly right. worth putting in. Uh, so we can. Uh, and you know, the book's still sold. But uh, there's nothing like a, a hockey book with, you know, in the day, um, Doug Gilmore in a Leaf uniform, Matt Sundin in a Leaf uniform, more recently, uh, Austin Matthews in a Leaf uniform. Those are all, you know, those are going to be big sales drivers. But yes, it, you get the usual push, push me, pull you uh, with the marketers. So since this is an annual series, uh, how is the, uh, you know, the bubble season that just happened and the proposed, I guess, shortened season that will happen, how is that going to affect how you proceed with Scholastic in putting out next the next versions of, of this series? Well, it's, it's a weird year. Uh, what we did with this year's book, um, because we couldn't, usually what we like to do is put in, you know, the final standings, the final results from the playoffs, the award winners, and so on. We couldn't do that. So uh, I wrote a foreword in the front of the book saying, you know, go. they, they set up a website uh, to go, and, and we filled all that information in as it became available. Uh, so that was uh, an adaptation we had to make for this year. For the upcoming year, I think we'll be okay once they get the season going. But the issue will be... Uh, again, in the normal year, by the time I put my list together of prospects to be in the following year's book, you know, you're you're a halfway through the season, so you can kind of see patterns emerging and, and take a pretty good educated guess. I've watched a lot of hockey over the years. Um, I won't have that luxury this year because we won't be as far into the season. Now, on the positive side of things, when I started doing this book back in the, the mid-late 80s, the book was printed in Hong Kong, and my print deadline, editorial deadline, was before the end of the season. So it's funny going back and reading those books because of, you know you write in these sort of vague generalities and because that's all you could do. That was the technology of the day. Now, uh, you can make changes right up until the day before it's going to go to print, and it doesn't go to print now until August. So the season will be over and done and dusted before it has to go to print. So uh, I think to long answer your question, I suspect what I'll end up doing is there'll be a lot more revisions as we go. But because of the technology now, that's completely doable. Whereas back when I started doing this, you know, I would, the the manuscript was being sent in in double space type pages. So it was a while ago. (laughs) Well, you know, 
that's I'm glad you brought up technology because there is a letter in this in this book to the to the kids that read it and it says hey listen we you know this is what happened you know essentially referring to the bubble season and you can go online and find more resources and there's a, there's the web link scholastic.ca slash hockey superstars I think it is so going forward I mean bubble seasons aside and shortened pandemic affected seasons aside do you do you feel like there'll be more interplay with you know the web and the book uh, going forward into the next you know I guess, few years, just given how ingrained technology is in everything right now? I, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I wish I could give you a definitive answer. I mean, in, in the one sense, with it, it's allowed us to do exactly what you talked about, uh, you know, p- put the author's note in the opening of this year's and say, hey, if, um, we don't have all the update, up-to-date information, but you can go here to this web page and we'll update it for you. And there's sort of a marrying of, of old technology and new technology, which I'm all for. Uh, but then having said that, as you guys would know, I mean, books are still you know, comfortingly to many people. A book is still a very analog process you know you, you, you sit there and you read the printed word be that off a, a tablet or, or or off you know a piece of paper a page printed page and I, I don't know that, that that'll ever change um, you know you know I think the book is what it is it's a, it's an annual and it's as absolutely in normal years as up-to-date as it can be uh, it, it takes into account award winners and the, and the Stanley Cup winner and the conclusion of the previous season and wraps it all up nicely and previews the upcoming year. And, and I kind of think that's enough um, for most young kids. Uh, you know, but I, I could be wrong. You know, I, I don't have a young child. Um, maybe they'd like something on, you know, Snapchat, on uh um, you know any of the the instant message mm-hmm. things that like all all that stuff that I you know that I I don't really don't participate in because of my age partly mm. um, you know I, I so I don't know uh, I, I don't have a definitive answer for that and and with writing for that young audience how much uh, do you sort of look for the thing that makes that player like relatable to a, a young kid who you know is trying to go find in inspiration i think of how you know you're i think the mcdavid capsule and this you're emphasized you know how he came back from a knee injury and still put up almost a i think a point and a half per game last year yeah i mean i i try to go for stories that are you know obvious for obvious reasons relatable to young kids and and they tend to be stories about overcoming obstacles uh perseverance displays of exceptionally good character sportsmanship um you know the uh, the ongoing theme i think we'd like to to stress to uh, to young athletes is that uh, you can work hard sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't you work hard you don't always win uh you you win with pride you lose with dignity all of those things and i and i look for stories like that so yeah, the connor connor mcdavid one is a good example of that um and then again for for many other stories uh, i'll talk about the start for a player where he grew up and how he learned to play the game and who his heroes might have been and I, I try to keep the themes you know relatable to a kid and I hope something that's going to provide a bit of inspiration for a young hockey player 
Paul, I'm going to segue now into into the broadcast portion of your career, uh, and I want to ask um, if you could paint the picture for our listeners and for both myself and Nate of, I mean, I guess the setting of a of a young uh, Paul Romanuk at Ryerson, uh, and and you and your classmates becoming aware of this new all sports station on the horizon, uh, called TSN. I mean, what what was the I mean, before TSN, I'm, uh, what, what, what were the options uh, for you in sports broadcasting and, and your classmates? Well, they were, they were surprisingly varied. Um, I mean, in terms of television sports, it was, you know, the place where you wanted to be was CBC. You wanted CBC sports. That they were the kings. You know, they had Hockey Night in Canada. They had the Olympics. Um, they had the CFL, mostly. You know, anything that was big was on see they had sports weekend i mean it, it was it was the big iconic sports brand ctv uh, also had a pretty strong brand they had uh, you know ctv's wide world of sports which was kind of a, a, a ripoff of uh, abc's wide world of sports in the u.s but done with with some canadian flavor um so you also had at ctv but the thing that you had back then for options is you know, back in that era, in the we're talking early mid '80s when I graduated from uh, from Ryerson, every local radio and TV station, and there were way more of them in Canada. This is before Rogers and Bell sort of got their paws onto everything and gradually mm-hmm. started to consolidate and close down and eliminate jobs, which they continue to do mm-hmm. um, in order to save money. So, but, but you know, when I used to early days go and work as a stringer for Broadcast News, which was the broadcast end of Canadian press. I would go and, and interview players after the games and and, uh, and feed the tape back down a phone line to be distributed to affiliates. Uh, and I would go and sit in the press box at the old Maple Leaf Gardens, and there would be 10 to a dozen reporters there from radio stations. Mm. You know, I mean, just, you know, go down, you know, every radio station didn't just have a sports reporter. They had a sports department. And likewise for news, and likewise for local television affiliates. So there were, those were your options coming out of school. Um, now the, the TSN thing, I don't think, I don't recall that any of us were following it particularly closely. Um, but then all of a sudden, at that time, right when, when my cohort graduated uh, in, the, in the autumn of the fall of that year, was the first time that you had pay TV channels launched in Canada. So you had TSN, a sports channel. You had Much Music, music video channel. There were a couple of movie channels. There was an arts channel off the top of my head. So that that was a great time. But it's not like we were all sitting there uh, near the end of our final year at Ryerson. So that would have been in the spring of 1984 going, wow, it's going to be great. There's going to be this all sports channel. I don't think we knew that much about it. Now, when it hit, a lot of my colleagues um, quickly found work there. Uh, and, and and I followed suit shortly thereafter. But it, it wasn't like it was this big anticipated thing because there were a, a fair number of options out there for you when you graduated back then. I was imagining just in my. I'm glad you clarified that because I was imagining uh, it, w- it would be probably it was probably similar 
uh, to when the athletic kind of emerged a few years ago. It seemed it seemed to be hey, there's this thing to go to. But yeah, as you say, there were a lot of options locally before consolidation. So yeah, um, so thank you for that. Um, I want to I want to move forward uh, into your career and 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 by the '90s. One one of the storylines that struck struck me was you know the Eric Lindros storm and by the time you're firmly entrenched at TSN after you got hired on as a full timer in '87, uh, you know there's this storm around this kid from Oshawa where you're from, and I was just wondering how you thought you know the hyper coverage TSN then has the 24 hour sports news cycle, how that what role TSN had in showcasing the Eric Lindros circus and maybe how you factored into that. Well, it, you know, as timing worked out, uh, I had front row seat um, because um, I can remember I can remember traveling down to Detroit to do a story on Eric when I was a sports desk reporter. Um, so this was prior to him coming back even to play in the Ontario Hockey League. So Eric and I, you know, at that time, well, we still do, but I mean, go back a long way. And and then I was, again, it was just sort of coincidence the way my career was going and the way his was going. Uh, TSN started covering junior hockey in a big way um, in the 1991 season. Bob McKenzie and I, uh, you know, it was CHL Sunday night was launched on TSN and it was the first time there was a weekly coast-to-coast Canadian junior hockey game on television and I was behind that with uh, you know in a production role but also on the air with Bob McKenzie as the color guy and that coincided with with Eric's entry into the Ontario Hockey League and then playing for the Oshawa Generals and uh, going back a long way but Mike Ricci was also a star in Peterborough and, and so to answer your question I called a lot of those games and subsequently, you know, I was I was a host in the World Junior when he was with Team Canada in Saskatoon that year. And then the following year, we were in Fusion, and I was calling play-by-play, and he was also playing in the OHL. So, yeah, our, our paths crossed a lot. And uh, right up to draft day, when I was the first guy who interviewed him after he got drafted, I was the, uh, the reporter on the TSN broadcast, and they called his name, and Eric came walking down. I had a pretty good relationship with the guy at that time, and, you know, he walked over, and I did the interview with him, and, and yeah, and then it, it kind of came full circle uh, in that way during my last year doing NHL play-by-play when we were doing a regional Leafs game in Philadelphia, and it was Eric Lindros. Uh, night it was he was being inducted into the Philadelphia Flyers Hall of Fame and uh, you know I saw Eric he came into the broadcast booth between periods and gave him a hug and it, it was just like man like, it's it's funny how life comes full circle um, so yeah it, those are those are fantastic times and and it was a pleasure to be able to call those games uh, I, I still in my days of calling junior hockey have never seen a player who dominated as much as Eric Lindros did at the junior hockey level. It was a man playing against boys, and uh, he he was just a phenomenon to watch. And, and just and just everything surrounding him was just just hyper covered at, at that time. And do you think TSN being the only you know only dog on the block that had that twenty four hour sports coverage really like 
you know, propelled that into its own stratosphere like nothing had ever been covered before? Because, I mean, like, when Gretzky came into the NHL, there wasn't a 24-hour news cycle. So was that part and parcel of kind of the hype machine? Well, I think it was. Um, you know, and uh, it was even so, uh, you know, I would say it was kind of a light version of what we have today because, yes, there was a, a 24-hour, you know, we saw the emergence during you know, during my lifetime uh, as a broadcaster, I saw the emergence of, of uh, round-the-clock news stations. You know, CNN came to life, uh, and then 24-hour sports stations, and 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 yeah, you got to feed the beast, as they say in the business. So there had to be there had to be programming, and there had to be coverage, and I suppose that contributed to it. Uh, I, I think it's even worse now. With not only do you have to feed the beast, uh, but you have a couple of different beasts to feed, and then throw in social media. Uh, and you know Snapchat and and uh, TikTok and everything else. Uh, every team's got websites. So I think it's it's even more so now. Uh, but yeah, your point is well taken. I mean, you go back just a few years before that, you had an amazing player, you know, maybe the greatest of all time, Wayne Gretzky, coming up, and in you know, relative anonymity compared to even somebody like Eric Lindros a, a decade later. So it's, it's, uh, it just, it just continues to, to wrap up as you have more beasts to feed, to use my analogy, but yeah, TSN definitely contributed to it. Absolutely. I think in positive and negative ways. Mm. Yeah, and, and I always thought at some point someone should have made like a, like an ESPN 30 for 30 and just called it everybody versus Eric that would have just, covered the Lindros's clashes with you know the hockey establishment I mean you obviously from your perspective as someone who who knows him do you think that maybe still plays into his you know relationship with hockey in 2020 you know what I I, I don't know I, I don't know him well enough anymore to say that um, you, you know I, I will say that you know even at the time um you know, you, you talk about providing grist for the mill. Uh, you know, I mean, Bonnie and Carl were—you couldn't have, <laughs> you know, you, you, you couldn't have written anything more outrageous, right? I mean, it, they were—they were the ultimate, um, you know, for better and for worse. They were the ultimate hands-on hockey parents, and uh, it was a, an era where that kind of thing was reported more and more. Uh, you know, I, I think if you, there were probably loads of hockey parents like that prior to, but you know, their their insistence at dictating that, you know, where Eric was going to play, uh, both coming into the the Ontario Hockey League and then later going into the NHL, um, you know, they could both be bombastic at times, and I, I think it was just this this perfect storm that everybody got caught up into. So, I, you know, it, it was a you look back on it, and you, you, you know you kind of you kind of shake your head a little bit. But uh, I, I guess it all turned out all right. I, I have no idea. I I would suspect, and I'm just guessing. I would suspect that that Eric's um, residence to be involved with the game to the extent that maybe we'd all like to see probably has a little bit to do with with wanting to be a private person, but also. W- I think factoring in there was the league's reluctance to take the concussion issue seriously. And that's essentially what ended his career. And the league through its actions um, basically said, you know, nah, we don't, we don't think that's a factor, uh, which of course is you know, completely, 
uh, turned out to be uh, incorrect. And I would think that plays into it a little too. Yeah. Now, Paul, many sports fans will link your voice with the world under 20 hockey championship or world junior. Now it's, it's, you know, we try to ask evergreen questions, but it's supposed to start in about, I guess, 11, 10, 11 days in a pandemic in a province with a sky high COVID-19 caseload. I guess, uh, what is the best way to sort of make sense of health and safety and I guess cold, hard cash seeming to be on this collision course? Well, nobody's asked me, uh, my opinion, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what should we do? Why would they? Uh, you know, I say that tongue firmly implanted in cheek. Uh, but if somebody did ask, I don't know why you wouldn't just this year go, you know what, we're going to take a year off. It's, it's the prudent thing to do. And, uh, yeah, we're going to, you know, this is a massive, massive money maker for Hockey Canada, and that's the main reason it's going ahead, I would I would say. Um, and it may all come off fine. I hope it does, but, you know, they canceled the Spengler Cup um, months ago, again, just saying, you know what, in light of all that's going on, we're just going to, we're going to shut her down and not do it this year. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't do that, but, you know, I'm not the person to ask that question. But it, if it were up to me, uh, I think that would be the prudent thing to do would just be to say, we're going to set an example. <clears throat> and this year, just because of the, you know, we're going to be coming out of the tunnel a year from now. It'll be fine, um, hopefully. But this year, right now, it's not. So we're going to lead by example and and just say, this is a year we're going to take off, unfortunately. And I, and I know in a, in a more general sense when you know we get back to some semblance of normalcy how fair is it to say that really enjoying the world junior it kind of requires some sort of a friend of mine called it active critical distancing you know where you watch it for the quality of the hockey but you kind of maybe push away a little bit from the na- the nationalism angle that's become such a big part of it yeah i, th- I think that's a pretty fair assessment um you know whoever said that you know, that's sports, right? I mean, it, it's it's uh, and you know we we love hockey more than any other country in the entire world. We follow it more closely than any any other country in the entire world, and that tournament means more to us than any other country in the entire world. So I guess you're going to get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, what it became. You know what? Uh, I was there when we first started broadcasting the World Junior, and, and it's funny when I reflect back because uh, the first—I remember the first year I went away, went to Fusion, uh, would have been the 1991 World Junior Championship, I believe it was 91 or 92. And uh, my wife, having people at work, you know, she had to explain to them where I was. Oh, he's at this you know, World Junior. Oh, what's that? Well, it's this tournament they have every year. It's the best junior hockey. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the all-encompassing thing that it is now. Where even if you're not a sports fan, you you can't escape its uh, it, its grip. You 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 see the uh, the ads and you hear about it. It's it's like a it's a huge thing. I mean, we, you know, until the mid '90s, we didn't even broadcast every single Canadian game at the World Junior. Never mind every single game 
from the tournament. Um, I mean, it just changed by leaps and bounds. And in the early days, uh, going overseas, TSN didn't want to pay the money to send a host and play-by-play guy and a color guy. So I was the host and the play-by-play guy. <laughs> um, you know, it's like it, that's it was, it, and, and it just grew exponentially during my 11 years of doing it. And the main reason for that is because Canada started to win. Like, remember, guys, this this was not a tournament that Canada came even close to dominating until the 90s when they won five in a row mm-hmm. for the first time and and that just happened to coincide with the games starting to be broadcast on tsn and it became a christmas tradition to click on tsn on boxing day and watch canada kick the kick the crap out of norway 10 to 1 and go <laughs> hey merry christmas pass the turkey sandwich you know and like every and uh, you know i still maintain had canada not won the way it did during the 90s it would not have grown into what it is now everybody loves a winner if Canada had finished in third place, fourth place, maybe won once during that run in the 90s and not won five in a row, I don't think it would be what it is now. You know, winning winning breeds winning. Before you came to Hockey Night in 2014, you'd spent about a decade in England uh, when you and your wife moved there for her job. Um, how did that, how did your time away from Canada uh, you know, allow you to kind of reset and, and think about where hockey uh, fits into life here. I mean, did it give you any added perspective? Probably needed perspective, I'm imagining, for for a lot of people that that don't get to leave the country that do cover the game. Well, uh, it, you know, if only we could all go and live outside of our country for you know nine years. In my case, uh, you know, on a, on a philosophical level, the world would be a much better place because you would you would uh, you see other parts of the world. You see things through a different lens. You see your own country through a different lens, and uh, and that's 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 just a positive. It, it makes you appreciate your own country, and and perhaps make you you know more critical. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just just look at it in a in a broader light. And I, I think that would be the case for anybody. Specific to sports, um, you know, obviously completely different sporting culture in the UK where I was living. Um, you know, to be, I knew I was in trouble when the, the sport that I'd grown up loving and working around was referred to as ice hockey. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, knew, I knew that I was in trouble right away. Now, having said that, um, you know, I still was very much involved in hockey from a European standpoint, and I did a lot of work for the International Ice Hockey Federation, traveling to tournaments all over Europe and in Asia for that matter. Um, working for them, I was uh, doing web content and writing and uh, producing videos and so on. I was involved in the, the Spengler Cup production as well as calling play-by-play. Uh, I did that every year for Canadian television. Uh, I was also called Hockey Play-by-Play Sport, uh, which is a, a big uh, European European uh, sports channel. Uh, I did the Vancouver Olympics, all of the hockey on Eurosport. So I was still very much involved in the game. Uh, I wasn't involved in the NHL on a day-to-day basis, but again, in this era, it was pretty easy to watch games online or there were a couple of stations where you could catch them late at night if, if, uh, you, know, if you wanted to watch them live. So I've, you know, it's not like I went over there and, 
didn't watch a hockey game or wasn't involved in sports broadcasting for nine years and then popped up on Hockey Night in Canada again. Right. Um, you know, that, that wasn't the case of all. In terms of perspective, it, it does put the game of hockey into perspective in a big way. Uh, I referred earlier to the, you know, there's one, there is one country in the English speaking world that is obsessed with hockey and you and I are sitting in it right now. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think the only other country that is even close to us or maybe equal in terms of being obsessed by hockey as the number one sport without question is Finland. After that, hockey's by and large a regional sport. You know, it's, it's really big in some areas, just like the United States, and almost non-existent in other areas. Uh, Sweden soccer is bigger. Russia, soccer is bigger. Germany, uh, basketball, and uh, also uh, sort of a sport called, uh, well, netball uh, is, is a big sport there. So it, it's, it's a big world out there, and hockey does not have a big place in the global sports world. And I know that that sends many Canadian <laughs> people running away in tears uh, at the reality of it. <laughs> but that, that, and that's something I definitely saw not living in Canada. Now, something I was curious about is is the way a broad, a live sports telecast is produced in Europe vis-a-vis -vis North America. Is there are there any sort of like differences that you found when you when you first uh, went into that that uh, realm? Yeah, but, I mean, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think a a good sports broadcast is a good sports broadcast. Um, but uh, you know. I, I think in the the weird thing for me as a broadcaster uh, doing games on on Eurosport or even for that matter when you go to the the Spengler Cup or when I used to do the World Championships for TSN and you're taking a, a world feed, which for non broadcasters is essentially there's one feed of the game provided for everybody to use and you don't control the pictures as opposed to an NHL broadcast for example where the the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast is controlled by the Hockey Night in Canada director and producer so they decide to see so an example is if I'm the announcer and I start talking about Austin Matthews in the truck, they'll say, okay, camera two, find close-up of Matthews, pick two, and you go to Austin Matthews. If you're doing a world feed, which is typical at, at, at the Olympics or big events, um, then you don't have that control. So I can be talking about Austin Matthews, but the director and producer in the truck may decide that they're going to do a replay sequence showing um, the, the goaltender uh, flipping the puck into the corner for the defenseman to go and pick up and over that so you have to react more to what you see in the screen so some of the storylines would be a little different than you know I don't want to get too television technical but there's a sort of a standard way to, that, that, that we do things here that they don't always do over there but that said uh, the pictures from the Spangler Cup um, I would put up against any of the pictures we get from a Canadian hockey broadcast like they're fantastic camera people, producers, and directors, they just have a bit of a different method. In in, in regards to specific calls, I've, I've, I watched, uh, in my research, I, I watched uh, that you said, you know, one of your best calls was, 90, I think, the 94 World Championships when Canada won. 
Uh, and then obviously most people, especially hockey fans, uh, in recent years will remember the Austin Matthews four goals. But I wanted to ask you, um, and it'll lead into my next question, depending on your answer. Did you call the last game at the Forum? I did indeed, and that uh, that's that is uh, one I'll never forget. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, bizarrely, there's no way I should have been calling that game. I mean, that was a you know that's that's a funny one on the league, right? Like mm-hmm. you'd think the, the Montreal Forum, one of the most iconic hockey buildings in the history of the game. I know if I was running the league, it's going to be on a Saturday night, and it's going to be Montreal against one of the original six, Toronto or Boston, or something. it's going to be a big deal. Instead, it was a Tuesday night against the Dallas Stars. <laughs> but, but because of that, it, it happened to fall under the, uh, you know, the, the realm of PSN schedule at the time, and we had that game, and it was... I mean, it was for a kid who grew up as a Montreal Canadiens fan. It was uh, I was pinching myself sitting in the same booth that my broadcasting hero Danny Gallivan had sat in, and amongst others, and, and calling the final game at the Forum. So yeah, I did do that. And, and so, where does that rank uh, amongst uh, the great calls like the Austin Matthews and the World Championships for you? Well, I mean, it, it's it, as an experience. I mean, I, I don't recall it being a particularly great game. Um, it was an amazing night, just because of the, you know, the this, the the stars walking out there, and I, I remember uh, Richard handing the torch to Belleville, who handed it to you know, like right. Aurel Joliet, or like it was just unbelievable. It was mind blowing to see all of that in front of you. Um, so that was really cool, and Howie Meeker was with us on the crew that night. Uh, I worked with Howie a lot back in my early TSN days because he was one of our between periods analysts and I was a host for a while uh, on the game. So Howie was there that night. And then I I remember after the game, there's a place on Peel Street called Alexander's, which is a, a great little sort of French bistro. It's been there a long time. And I remember us all going to Alexander's after the game and uh, having a, a late night bite to eat and a couple of beers and then the, the sort of dishes got cleared and how he took out a cigar and uh <laughs> and the story started uh playing against montreal canadians back in the day so for for personal reasons uh you know neil and nate that that's right up there for me as as an experience uh, as an amazing game it wouldn't make the the top five but as a as something that i was lucky enough to do yeah it's right up there it was an amazing night during the lockout of 0405 uh some people may not know this i actually didn't know this you called raptor games uh during the 0405 season which was a pretty wild season that was the year vince carter got traded and um i think there were a, a number of hockey people that that switched over uh, uh, behind the scenes and in front of the mic like yourself. Uh, Gord Cutler, I think, produced uh, television Raptor games. So how was that transition managed? Was I mean, and was there, I mean, was there any, were, were people looking at you thinking, hey, like, wh- why aren't we bringing in a traditional basketball play-by-play guy or producer? I don't really know. I mean, the, the thing is, I I was, one of the great things about TSN back in that era was uh, if you were versatile in terms of of what you could, what you could do as a play-by-play announcer or a host, uh, the world was your oyster because they had a, to do a lot of sports. I mean, I called play-by-play 
for everything in the early days at TSN. I, you know, beach volleyball, car racing, horse racing, boat racing, uh, track and field, right on down the list. And what I also did do, uh, we had a, a, a fair number of Raptors and at that time Grizzlies games that we broadcast, Vancouver Grizzlies on mm-hmm. TSN. And I did probably about half of those games. And I also called play-by-play at the Sydney Olympics for the basketball, ah. uh, as well as at the Athens and Beijing Olympics, I did basketball play-by-play. So, you know, I did, I, while I'd never put myself up as, uh, you know, as a, an ace basketball guy, right. I had done and have done a fair bit of basketball play-by-play. So when I slipped in and, and did those Raptors games on the radio, um, it, it, you know, it wasn't that big of a stretch because I'd done a lot of basketball on television, including you know, some Olympic games. Um, I just want, just for time purposes, I'm going to jump ahead. Um, and, and I want to ask you in terms of, um, and I know people always probably bring this up whenever they interview you or talk to you on the street, but uh, we'll keep it to probably just one question here. And um, when Dave Schultz came on a few seasons ago, he had a book out called hockey fight in Canada about the, the fight for hockey night between Bell and Rogers and taking those rights from CBC who had held them for so long. Um, we talked to him, and I, I asked him, I mean, in the end of the day, does that deal, now that Rogers have it, seem similar to, like, the Lufthansa heist from Goodfellas in that everyone associated with that deal has been knocked off in some way? There's, you know, I, know, I don't know if you've seen Goodfellas, but is that an apt way to, to look at what has happened? Because it, 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 no one seems to have been left around that was there initially. Yeah, no, that's that's the uh, first time I've heard that analogy, and it's not a bad one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I always tell people, I mean, I, uh, you know, for reasons best known to themselves, uh, that's the direction it's gone. But uh, I stand proudly with, um, you know, the people who uh, whose careers were had been scuttled or, or upturned. Uh, Mike Johnson, who I think is one of the finest color commentary voices in the game, um, you know, wasn't good enough for Rogers. Um, Nick Kiprios, after all those years, not good enough anymore. Uh, myself, uh, Dave Randorf, um, Darren Millard, um, you know, Glenn Healy. That's a pretty good list, and that's that, that's not even counting the behind-the-scenes talent. Uh, a guy named Paul Hemming, for my money, if hockey director in the world, he's it's one and one a. Uh, I guess he wasn't good enough anymore. Uh, so, you know, there are a number of Gord Cutler, um, you know, who who uh, is, had a, a major role with the Vancouver Olympics hockey packages at both TSN and Sportsnet. I guess, you know, he didn't cut he didn't cut it anymore either, apparently. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a good analogy and uh, and and one that puzzles me. Of course, uh, one of George Harrison's songs, uh, I think, "What Is Life," was used uh, to great effect in Goodfellas. Which sets up a segue. Uh, the walrus was Paul. Uh, how, 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 how long had you been champing at the bit to do do something like this this endeavor? Because I've caught about I think five episodes now, and I, I am I am hooked. Hey, well, thank you very much. I'm I'm thrilled to hear that, Nate. And uh, be sure to visit the website romicast.com and check out our back catalog. Um, I've as anybody who knows me. Um, would attest, uh, you know, I, I have as big a passion for uh, music as I do for sports, and uh, I just, you know, I I wanted something 
to do and I didn't I, I just wanted to take a break from sports and this was there was another podcast that I heard that sort of took a similar approach and I thought that I could put a Canadian angle on it uh, i.e. talking to Canadian music people and uh, it's it's been just a, an absolute blast to do um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it, it's something that you know I've I, wanted to do for a long time had the opportunity and it's it's been really enjoyable yeah now now jim cuddy was your first guest was it like was it a case of where okay jim cuddy's doing this i you know maybe open the door for other guests like hey i better get on this as well i i I don't think that hurt um you know the, the guy who really deserves props um, you know, uh, Jim Cuddy and Colin Cripps from Blue Rodeo stepped up when I asked them, um, you know, right out of the gate. This was a, a new thing, and, uh, you know, that was very, very, and I will forever be grateful to them for, for stepping up and doing that. And another guy, uh, Dave Bedini from the Rio Statics and the Dave Bedini band, has been a huge supporter and has sent a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of great musicians and Canadian music people my way. Stephen Page, uh, you know, another great guy who I, I got in touch with through his agent and he was got back to me right away, said, yep, be great. Tyler Stewart, another bare naked ladies guys. So there've been a bunch, but uh, it certainly didn't hurt coming out of the gate with uh, with the likes of, of Jim Cuddy. Yeah, yeah, the Tyler Stewart episode actually connected, for me, some dots connected between that and, uh, the life of a pro athlete because uh stewart related how like by the mid late 90s the bare naked ladies had management that was just you know going for market saturation and they were dealing with all sorts of fatigue uh where i relate that to sports is you know it's a small industry but it is one that uses a lot of jet fuel and climate change is a thing i wonder how as you know fans we can you know set in you know try to push leagues to maybe maybe you need to like play fewer games and travel a little less how, how do you get that message across to people when we're all cultured on like you know having 24 7 365 spectacle in, in north america well that's it i mean that is a uh that's a that is a fascinating topic and uh, you know i i think one that it, it's going to evolve certainly over the rest of our lifetimes but you raise an excellent point. Uh, you know whether you you go for a more condensed schedule or teams come in and they play. You know rather than rather than coming in and, and uh, playing on Friday, flying out and playing somewhere Saturday, and then coming back to that city two weeks later to play another one. Maybe we see things where teams fly in and they play uh, a two-game series. They play you know, Friday and Monday or, or something like that. I'm just spitballing here. I've no idea, but uh, I think that. The next generation of of sports fans, of younger sports fans, are going to be asking those questions. Absolutely, and they should ask those questions. Um, you know, if, if we want to try to save this uh, blue ball uh, spinning around in space, I'll call home. Um, we've got to be thinking about things like that. And you know, is it is it feasible to uh, to have professional sports teams on charter jets flying? tens of thousands of, of air miles every year to play a, an 81 game schedule when there are perhaps ways that you could cut those air miles in half or by a third or even by a quarter uh, every little bit would help and I think those questions will be asked and you know what it will be it will be the intelligent league and if, if I had to bet on a league to look at that first in North America I would say it would be the NBA because the NBA can 
tends to lead on social issues and broader issues. And it will be it will be the smart league that gets ahead of that, I believe, and says, you know what, this is what we're going to do to do our bit. And uh, I hope it happens sooner than later, but it'll be interesting to watch unfold. That's a great question. Yeah, and just quickly to drop in, I did see a graphic right where the NBA is reducing all the travel for every team. And of course, the Raptors had the smallest reduction because that's just how it works. But Neil, <laughs> yes, um, I, I was going to ask you um, uh, because you know we're talking about the Romy cast and the, the Walrus was Paul. Uh, have you ever in your career uh, gotten close to any of the Beatles, a, either using your media credentials uh, for your own uh, you know selfish purposes, or just run into them when you were in England or in your you know media travels? The closest I got was when I was living in London and there was an event that was being put on um, by a charity for people with hearing impairments. And uh, stick with me on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, George Martin was a fellow of the charity because his hearing had suffered because of all the years that he spent in, George Martin, for those of you who don't know, was the producer for the Beatles and and many others and, and spent his entire working life in sound studios and and mixing albums and listening to loud sounds so he was losing his hearing and and he was a fellow with this um with this charity and what they were having one night was george sir george martin by that time was being interviewed in a very small room just a couple you know maybe a hundred people like a gymnasium maybe smaller than that um and he was being interviewed and he was going to talk about what it was like producing the beatles and i happened to see this was happening and the tickets were they weren't cheap they were like a couple hundred bucks each but it was for a charity and plus i wanted to see george martin it would be incredible to spend an evening in a room with this guy and listen to him tell stories about working with beatles so i went and just after the lights came down in came paul mccartney and he sat about four rows in front of me on the aisle and was there uh, you know listening and about a couple of minutes before the show the talk was done he got up and he left um so that's i was four rows away from paul mccartney that was the closest i ever got it was pretty cool um there's a number of ways I can go with this last question. It just, it just kind of uh, broke up into about three questions for me, so I'll, I'll just bear with me on this one. Um, so uh, my last question may turn into about two or three, but I guess, you, you know, I've seen in, in LinkedIn, you've written in depth about the, the business of mainstream media, especially Rogers and the hockey deal, and sorry, I am going back to this. There, the, So um, now that you have your feet in the water with podcasting, um, I just wanted to see how you see the monetization evolving going forward with with podcasts just and i only ask you that because you you seem to have had an in-depth kind of breakdown of of the rogers deal so maybe your head is in that space uh do you see uh a path forward for monetization in in podcasting well if there is one i mean there is one but you've the one that i see is you know, you've got to be pretty big, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not that big. Um, you know, there are there are small ways forward for the little guys like me, um, uh, you know, and like you guys for that matter. And you can get affiliate marketing deals, and there's you know, you know nickels and dimes. Uh, but, but to really make money, you know, you've got to be 
you've got to have hundreds of thousands or millions of, of, of people listening. And at that point, you know, again, I, I would p- point to Malcolm Gladwell. You know, Malcolm Gladwell has enough people downloading his podcast that he can go to uh, a big company and say, hey, do you want to do you want to sponsor? And it's old fashioned advertising. They'll write him a check and say, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this panoply brings you Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Um, but for the smaller smaller scale I, I don't really know I mean I'm looking at it I, I would love to find a way I mean right now it costs me money um, right to do Us uh, too. <laughs> you know not and that's not even factoring in my time I mean I'm the, right. I'm the producer researcher writer editor everything mm-hmm. uh, it's the same with you guys uh, right. but you know if, if there's a way that emerges I'd, I'd be really happy I, I don't know what that is yet um, there was a recent article, uh, Bobcat Bob McCowan, uh, in the Globe and Mail by Simon Hopped. I don't know if you saw that uh, a few days ago. I did, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. so in that, uh, I mean, it, it came to my mind for a couple of reasons. And in terms of podcasting, he's saying his, uh, you know, is getting like 100000 uh, a month. Um, and there was also the whole um, business aspect of his career. And, I mean, since you guys were of the same era, roughly, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, was it a easier time? Because he seems to have a lot of business interests involved with sports, and I think you do as well. Um, was it an easier time back then to kind of, you know, when there was less consolidation to, to get your hand in different pies and maybe make a few bucks outside of your traditional in-front-of-the-mic gig? Um, I, I didn't really get into that so much. I mean, I've, I've always had the writing that I've enjoyed doing, and I've done commercial voiceovers and so on. But, I mean, Bob McCowan uh, is a completely different league. I mean, you know, I, I don't know Bob that well, um, but he is, you know, I mean, just clearly a, a massively bright entrepreneurial guy, uh, you know, with his production company and, uh, you know, all the, the winery that he was involved with and um, real estate deals. I mean, he's a, he's a guy who, who thinks like an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, um, you know, I could ever be, <laughs> I would ever be accused of that or, or, or put in the same league. Uh, and, you know, and even with his podcast, like, uh, bless him because, but it's, I understand why he has all those downloads because I mean, he, you know, he was the guy on a, on a big radio show in a major Canadian market. Um, you know, I can completely understand where he would have, he would have that many, people downloading his podcast. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys what, you know, 100,000 downloads yeah. a week for a podcast. It's just a few more than ours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bob, you know, so I never got into it the way Bob did, to answer your question. No, I, I never never had that kind of acumen. And and the, um, I guess, also, just because I brought up the, the breakdown of the Rogers deal now, where I think we're about halfway through it. I just wanted to know, I know it probably doesn't occupy a bunch of your time. You've moved on, but what do you see happening? I mean, not in the remaining years per se, but I mean, once this is done and maybe in the last few years, like what's, what, what is, how, where is this left hockey broadcasting in this country and where will it go? Well, you know, things change. Um, the, the hockey net in Canada that I grew up with is, is but a distant memory. Um, and you know, people can argue whether that's good or bad things evolve. My, my guess is that in, and it's just a guess is that in six years, seeing the way things go now, first of all, I would expect that, um, 
if if past form is any indication, Rogers won't even come to the table. Um, you know, they, you know, I'm, and as Exhibit A, I point back to remember when Sportsnet launched, uh, and they launched by taking the regional cable television NHL package from TSN. I was at TSN when that happened, and there were a lot of long faces going up and down the hallways when that happened. And Sportsnet, over the course of that deal, uh, clearly decided they had no interest for, again, reasons best known to those who made the decisions, but they they clearly had no interest in being national NHL cable broadcasters. And, uh, and I say that that's a fact because when the rights came up again, they didn't even put a bid in. And it went back to TSN, and it, it's you know it was ensconced at TSN for many years until this deal. So, uh, to answer your question, I, I think that in six years, I would be surprised if they even came to the table based on that past form. What I think is going to be the big factor in five or six years is there may not even be a place at that table for for Rogers or Bell or any of the traditional broadcasters because in my mind. When once platforms like Twitter or Facebook or Apple or Amazon or any of those big companies, once they decide that they're going to step in, and I believe they will at some point, you know, just imagine, guys, Apple Canada decides it wants to, to, to jump in and scoop up the Canadian broadcast rights for hockey. It, it's over. And you're talking about a company that has more cash reserves than most governments. Like, it's done. They just, and, and likewise for a big platform like Facebook. If, if for whatever reason Facebook said, you know, we're going to get into video streaming and uh, we're going we're gonna to get all the NHL rights for Canada or for North America. Like, it's done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the direction it's going, more so than traditional broadcasters. Well, Paul, on that note... Um I, I do want to thank you, but I want to ask you just going forward, what do you what what can uh, we expect to hear more of uh, in addition, uh, maybe on the Romicast banner? Uh, what can we expect to uh, see from you going forward into 2021, and and after that, yes, I'll, I'll close and 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 say, and say thank you for joining us. Well, I want to. Uh, I'm going to keep going with uh, the Walrus was Paul for a little while longer. I'd like to do a second season. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the first season of 15 episodes uh, sometime. Yeah, I would guess probably February, March of, uh, of 2021. And then there are a couple of other podcast ideas I want to explore. One is uh, an audio history of, uh, and it would just be a probably a three or four parter of the early days of TSN. Uh, because it was a remarkable story, yeah. a remarkable business story, and the likes of which I don't think we're likely to see again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, another one I'd like to do with retired athletes, uh, and uh, the sort of premise around that is mm-hmm. for them to to talk about their their careers, but also their life experience and how they intersect, and with a bit of a twist. So those are two other projects that that I hope will come to fruition in 2021, and then later in the year we'll get into Season 2 of The Walrus Was Fall. Just because we had Serge Savard on uh, in our last episode, and it just when you talk about retirement, one thing uh, it did get me thinking about was Ken Dryden in the game, I think he's, he retired around 30, and he talked about being able to relate to 65-year-olds 
much more than people his own age because they were of retirement age in civilian life. So, yeah, a very after you retire from sport, you're definitely not on the same page as people that retire from your traditional blue or white collar jobs. Um, so, on that note, uh, yes, thank you again for this much time, and uh, we look forward to uh, reading more and more of uh, your Scholastic releases. Thank you so much, guys. It's been my pleasure. It's been a really nice talk. I appreciate it.